0: McMaster has over 210,000 alumni living in 140 countries around the world. Unconventional will introduce you to some of our alumni who are working to make our world a brighter place in their own unique way. Join me, Karen McQuig, alumni director at Mac as we learn the moments that their path from Mac became unconventional. Meet Devon, a fearless adventurer in both career and life. From teaching salsa in Cancun to translating mining contracts in Peru, Devon's path is not one you want to miss. He ventured into hazardous distribution and chemical manufacturing before finding his passion in water management with Watts Water Technologies. Join us as we explore Devon's inspiring journey of resilience and determination, now leading him to make global impact and water safety through innovative software solutions. Hey, Deb. I'm kind of chuckling as I we begin our conversation today, because I've met a lot of graduates in my time as alumni director and working in the alumni office. But I don't think I've met anybody who likes to salsa dance, polka, and play the tin whistle. So, I, <laughs> so here's my pre pre work. Right? I did some I did some googling of you, and I discovered this. So why don't we just talk about like that's an interesting combination of creativity and uh, and uh, passion so tell me about that
1: so I so it's funny so when I was actually in high school I had well actually let me go back further than that when I was a kid living in northern Toronto I grew up in a European household my dad was Latvian. my mom being Czech Um, heavily influenced with central east or more north and eastern Europe Um, So kind of growing up, I had memories of, you know, the summer solstice and the festival and everyone dancing polka. And so as a kid, you kind of grow up side by side with four generations of the community and you see your elders dancing, the kids, the teens, the adults. And um, so I was heavily influenced with music and dance through my heritage and culture. Um, And I didn't realize how major that would have an impact on me down the road and obviously being a teenager. And then young adults, you like your club music and all this other stuff. But going to high school, I I was really much a loner, and you know picked on a lot. And so I decided to kind of overcome that, and I just wanted to be part of something. So I auditioned for a musical, and my English teacher at the time was like, "Oh, you you dance well," and so she kind of took on to. Be my teacher privately outside of school and so she was a latin dance instructor and so because of that she influenced me very greatly and that's when i started to get exposure to be on tln on television and uh, in dance at the canada salsa congress and so when i went to mac there wasn't any salsa and i ended up meeting my best friend in first year frosh uh, welcome week and uh, her and I both danced salsa and then we realized we'll become instructors so we joined Mac Dance Club and started teaching that way um, and then it heavily influenced us to the point we started to dance professionally and so it became a huge professional hobby uh, of mine um, and so that's why I danced salsa and the polka definitely came in through the heritage and background. The tin whistle is just a little fun thing to do and I obviously play guitar and flutes so on on the side but it's just a fun little instrument to do when it comes to those kind of traditional music so i don't know music and dance bring me joy and it's an eclectic bullet mix of it
0: it is, it is and i think it's important to have that sort of outlet right so you've got um you did that during university where you know you you're balancing academics and also your passion for things that help you to feel good about um you know the world around you and how you how you place in it. So did you find a hard time? Like, did you like school? Like, did you love the program you were in?
1: So in first year science, I didn't realize that, uh, I didn't understand how to pick courses. Um, in mind that like I didn't have a lot of money with my mom. So she, it was really hard to get to Mac. And so picking courses was the la- least of my worries. And I didn't realize that I could have picked them optimally. And so I had the worst schedule ever, eight 30 to six 30, And so I felt like my day was very, very draining. And so I didn't really like my first year at Mac um, just because I guess I didn't know how to do anything. And dance for me was my escape. I was part of the McMaster concert band. So music and dance, once again, were the things that brought me joy um, and stress relief. And it really helped me get through the first year. So...
0: So why did you choose to come to Mac and then talk a little bit about what you ended up studying and focusing on during your undergrad?
1: Yeah, for sure. so i I applied to University of Toronto for their faculty of music at the time I was high school to write movie compositions. And uh, I also applied to Guelph for their microbiology program. And I applied to Mac for. I guess life science, and then get into biology. Uh, mainly, my grandparents are living in Hamilton, and I thought, you know, maybe I could build a connection with my family here. But after I t- kind of toured campuses, I really liked Mac because I thought it was a little bit more community-based, and U of T was just you got lost in the city. Guelph itself was kind of cool, but it was a little bit far away. And so overall, I thought it was a happy medium balance. And I, I really enjoyed the feedback and, and, you know, Coots Paradise and all the greenery around the campus. So that was what my initial hunch was. And then I realized how important community was at Mac because you actually graduate wanting that and understanding why community is so important. So, uh, but yeah, that was one of the influences why I came to Mac. And when I actually kind of went through all of my studies, I realized that I didn't get the best grades in first and second year and I knew it kind of limited myself to what programs I could go into. So I kind of took the approach of let's take this university degree as an opportunity to learn about the world and what was university really for back in the day? Well, it was for research and becoming a universal renaissance person. Like, so I kind of approached it from a general biology perspective to take other courses. And my thought was, if I can study other topics, I would be better well-conversed to talk to people. Maybe I could learn a language, learn about history. And that's what I did. I took music. I studied Spanish for two years. I took. I speak Spanish fluently now. Uh, it's opened up career opportunities. Taking medieval history, even though I dropped the course uh, in my fifth year, I actually continued to take it, and it's helped me learn and converse with people and network with them. Um, environmental science courses has made me become a civic activist and take important responsibilities in in my career in chemistry and manufacturing related industries. So, whether or not I'm using the actual science and the details of the reactions or functions or equations. It's about the concept and how does it play out in the real world so I'm really glad I took a more general approach to the degree
0: yeah and I think that's sort of in your path path um, after McMaster right you've had lots of twists and turns and different opportunities that you might not have had if you hadn't have decided to be kind of like the Renaissance man and take a whole bunch of different um, program classes together to get um, on your pursuit of your degree so you know from that sort of perspective, Talk a little bit about your first couple of jobs post-MAC and um, how your degree helped, but maybe the other courses you took actually helped.
1: So I, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself because I listened to people in their stories and I find everyone has a different story and it's all unique. But one thing I've kind of noticed as a pattern was some people weren't happy if they didn't take a risk. And so I knew that in people in their 20s, more than likely, would tend to not be in the same jobs in their 30s and 40s. And some people hated their jobs. Some people loved their jobs. And so I did not want to be stuck in a job that I didn't like. So I kind of took the approach, I will take what I can, because one, I didn't really have parents to help me after school but two, that I didn't pressure myself too hard to say this is the be all end all. And I wanted to make sure I would experiment with different jobs, but all jobs and in industries that kind of included concepts of science. So um, I went into, my first job was actually marketing. <laughs> so that was my first employer who hired me right out. So I skipped a midterm, uh, molecular evolution, Uh, to go take a job offer through Air Canada Vacations to teach salsa dancing at a hotel on Las Ilas Mujeres in Cancun, Mexico, who I met my future employer on a peer <laughs> who really liked me. And I got my first job as a, a marketing manager, uh, for South, uh, West Ontario for Montana's Kelsey So Cara foods. I'm not sure. I think it's recipe now incorporated. Um, so I kind of worked for them for about a year and then I ended up switching into, uh, life insurance. The commuting was a lot for me cause I didn't have a car. So at that point, I ended up applying for a job at Industrial Alliance, which is a French or Quebec city based life insurance company. Um, I took a salary cut for that, but at the same time, uh, there was no commute. Uh, But then I, that was more data entry, but I was also working with the medical underwriters and actuaries. So I kind of got to work with biology and and the human and started applying numbers and behaviors and risk to bodies and uh, illnesses. And likelihood of things and outcomes so I found it really fascinating so even though the job was boring the concept was fascinating (laughs) Um, but it wasn't until then I realized that I was starting to use French for my work and I got to fly to Quebec City uh, for my job and work with the underwriters there but I just found that you know the the pay wasn't good and I started to see my friends make money or go back to Europe and have these great jobs and I'm like well why why am I not making as much as them? So then I started to pose the question, what if things were better somewhere else? So then I started to save money and I actually used my tuition tax credits uh, to put a lump sum aside to go abroad. And I was really scared, but I really, really, really wanted to travel around the world. And I said, why not do it when I'm young? Because I know when I get older, it's going to be a little harder. And I actually ended up getting an offer to work in Lima, Peru, because I used to go skate in Ottawa at the Bordeaux Canal. Uh, But I was afraid of having to speak Spanish every single day to communicate my emotions, I guess. And so I kind of let the fears get the best of me, which nowadays it would never. And one of the things I would say is don't let the fear discourage you. Get through it to get what you want, which is your goal. So anyway... I did let the fear get the best of me. and But at the time, I kind of said, well, what other places could I go? So Australia was on my destination list because it was tropical. They spoke English. And, you know, it was more of the British aspect, I guess, in terms of the world sense of travel. So I felt a little bit better there, even though the cost of living is like crazy. So that's why I, um, you know, I, I left my job uh, at the insurance company, I bought a one-way ticket, an insurance package, uh, and I found out that one of my best friends actually was moving there three days before, so that actually was very serendipitous and joyous yeah. that we all went together, um, and I started this crazy journey buying a one-way ticket to another country, not knowing what would ever happen, uh, but yeah, th- those are the first few jobs, and I ended up working in an organic bakery in Sydney, Australia for a few months, uh, and then I ended up moving to working in a French restaurant uh, as a sous chef, uh, which uh, enhanced my culinary experience. It taught me a lot about world and international cuisine. And now I love cooking at home. It's like one of my favorite things to do, uh, flavor combinations. And it just made me appreciate people, culture, heritage, spice, and, and just things about people. And I, I thought that was really, really important. But those jobs were very, very crucial so I could get references to eventually grow in Australia. So those are kind of like my very first few jobs coming out of Mac within the first three years. So,
0: so well, let's talk a little bit about you said. Fear talked you out of something of going to Lima, Peru, right? And so, but, you know, as I'm listening to you tell about your first few jobs post McMaster, strikes me that you're a little bit of a risk taker. You are comfortable with risk, which a lot of people are not. So how did you become comfortable with taking a risk or just saying, I am going to take that leap of faith. I am going to go on a plane to Australia.
1: So I, I think that's a couple of pieces of the puzzle. One, I, my, my without getting too much personal details, my, my parents divorced when I was very, very young and we didn't have much after that. And so I learned that things are binary when you get to not having many access to resources. And it's either you don't or you do everything to you can. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that subconscious foundation maybe has played a part in developing that innate, you know, decision-making ability. But I also think the other thing was one of the best things that someone told me, and it was my first employer who hired me. He said, Devin, sometimes I am scared to the bone to go into a meeting. Sometimes I don't want to fire people. I don't, but I I'm the one who owns this business and I have to take care of everyone's livelihood and myself. And so what I do is I tell myself, I am a tiger. I'm a lion and I'm going to go in with that energy and I'm just going to get the job done. And it's not about you. It's about the general and you just being the facilitator to act it out. And so that kind of mentality allowed me to say, I am not going to let my fears take a part of me, but I'm going to step over my fear and I'm going to envision myself on the other side of the fence and I'm going to somehow get to myself there. And I, that was like a brain exercise or something that helped me get past that. Uh, but the other thing is growing up in the Latvian community, a lot of older people uh, and our elders have shared life wisdoms. <laughs> and, you know, they said, travel, love and express yourself um, and take risks. Because if you have to look back at it on your deathbed, what would you think about yourself And so those are the things that kind of hit home. And I think all those three factors really played a huge component saying, well, I have nothing to lose. I can always Mm -hmm. come home. So for me, it was my opportunity is greater than not having one at all. And if something fails, I can always return back home to Canada. So
0: yeah. yeah. Well, I think that at the end of life, when you're looking at stuff, it's probably the things that it's not the day-to-day job you'll remember. It's all those experiences that you um, decided to take that, you know, provide the the memories that we remember for, for most of our lives. Um, so you eventually came back to Canada and now you're working in an industry that might match up a little bit closer to your, your science degree. So why don't you yes. talk a little bit about what you're doing now?
1: Yeah. So I, I, I work, in, uh, I work for a company called Watts Water Technologies, and I work under the brand called SYNCTA. Uh, SYNCTA is a software that offers a management solution to test backflow assemblies. Backflow assemblies are, I call them these gatekeepers of water. They essentially prevent contamination of the clean water that comes to your house business, the university, for example. So city of Hamilton would treat the water, clean it, deliver it. And there's this whole invisible network of stuff underground that you won't see. So you think there's skyscrapers and stuff. If you look underground, there's a whole invisible world underneath us where we walk every day. And as humans, we need clean water. So essentially there's bylaw or legislation at the federal level of Canada, US, Mexico that ensures clean water is delivered and that prevention of contamination uh, occurs prevention. So um, essentially this management solution allows people to save time from paper processes to track their data, test them, uh, get external testers to conduct the test. So essentially reduces the risk of anything failing because we're being proactive to monitor all of these assemblies. An example would be, um, I like to say this one on Halloween, but there was a a, a mortuary in Alabama, uh, state of Alabama, and a backflow assembly failed in a township. And this tester told us that the township residents started to complain that the water tasted tangy. The city didn't release a statement because it was embalming fluids of the dead body that eventually got back into the drinking water. So just to give you a really high-end example of why we have these things, but I think that's a really good takeaway story uh, to know that these backflow assemblies are really crucial to make sure we have clean water in our tap. So I love it. We work with data, um, and we ensure that this data allows these testers to test. So database science. Um, standard query languages. So all that GIS stuff I did in my minor really plays out in the concepts because computers are the same, Excel is the same, the data table is the same, the numbers, the math, everything. So uh, all of those concepts has really helped me transition to this job, look at it, understand process, develop it, make it better and incorporate those into our software. So my GIS education has really helped Uh, allow me to succeed in this current job and definitely any tech sector because you get exposed to programming and just data in general.
0: So what brings you joy in your role?
1: Um, So I'm a big environmentalist. Uh, I love traveling. I love the world. I love plants. I took plant biology and environmental science at Mac a lot. And um, for me to know that I get to work with government sectors and cities all across North America in some of the coolest cities and the most forested townships that the work that I do matters because if it's wrong, there's a risk that can occur where contamination might happen. So I get to protect the water. Um, and I think it's really fascinating and I get to talk to people all over North America every single day. So I get to, it's like traveling, but on a computer. So I find it really cool. Um, <laughs> you know, one person's in Nevada one day and I got someone in BC the next, and then I've got someone in, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and then I'm working in like Hollywood, California. Like, it's just really cool.
0: <laughs> so. so are you primarily remote in your role? And and if, if you found that transition... Good or you know have you you know do you miss being in
1: person? Do you like the hybrid? So, I I was hired 100 remote. So our, our company uh, our main office is in uh, near Boston, Massachusetts, but the software division is in Portland, Oregon. So all of our team is entirely remote. But if you're in the area you live in, you tend to go into the office more. So no expectations on the company for me to be in in an office. However, I. I have thoroughly enjoyed being remote because I'm a very independent person. And so um, it was hard the first six months to create mental boundaries to say, okay, this is the carpet. Beyond that line is actually where I need to leave my work thoughts behind. So I trained myself to do that. But now I'm starting to miss the companionship of being with work colleagues. So it's been about uh, two and a half years I've been at the company now and Um, I do like working from home, but I I, I do miss being able to go out for lunch with a colleague or, you know, I do miss a little bit of that. So I I don't really have a hybrid role. It's still remote. Uh, I can go into the office if I want to, but it's it's not the same if I have a team that's in Portland that I actually work with every day. So um, I think a hybrid role would be really cool, uh, but I definitely do miss the companionship. And so... If office was closer, I would definitely go in just to kind of facilitate those relationships.
0: What do you think? the um, If you if someone all of a sudden got a remote jo- job and COVID hadn't happened, so we hadn't had the practice of doing that, what do you think would be a tip or two you'd suggest for people on how to, you know, transition to that to that remote one hundred percent remote work?
1: One, if you okay, be kind to yourself because it's new. Don't have expectations, understand how you work and your environment is the best for you and not everyone else. Because I lived in a very, very small apartment when I got this job. So I was working off my kitchen counter until I could save up enough money to get a home office. So I was sitting on a stool for two months until I could save up to then afford things I needed. And then then I started to finally feel a little bit more comfortable physically. Then the mental came. So be kind to yourself. Understand that things are going to evolve and change. But the best tip I can give anyone is practice mental boundaries. If you have an office that's in your living room, if you say, okay, I have a couch. Beyond this, couch is when I'm allowed to think about work. But physically remove yourself from that chair to the couch so that you can watch TV. So that's your personal time. So by practicing those mental boundaries and actually doing those activities in those areas, if you have a small place will definitely help you succeed. It'll take time and be patient because it's once again, it's behavioral, right? You have to change over time. So just don't get frustrated or angry at yourself. be kind to yourself, be patient, but just keep doing those little activities every day to to create those boundaries. And then I find it'll help you transition and not be tempted to do something somewhere else, but uh, you'll you'll create those working, habits in those areas or put a scarf or a beautiful shawl over your computer screen so that way you remove the computer entirely i have a friend who does that with a silk scarf and it's actually quite beautiful so
0: that's a really good idea yeah i mean my um my office is in my bedroom i have a large bedroom but i do I, I, at the beginning it's like you're just always on and i'm like i can't do this like that's not good so i do leave the office so i think you are giving the best advice is you gotta just mentally like, oh. Push the chair in, I'm gone from the office.
1: Yes. And if that means shutting the laptop, if it means walking to the kitchen to create that habit to say I'm out or throwing that shawl or scarf or whatever it is over your computer screens, the work will be there the next day. And the one thing I've learned is, um, you know, I've had a lot of death in my life in the last few years is companies will just hire someone else. So take care of your health first. Um, yeah. And mental health is an important one, especially walking away from
0: absolutely um so we've talked a little bit about your travels around the world i guess my question to you is not where you've been but where do you want to go like where where's what's on your bucket list still to do oh such a
1: good question so okay i've been to new zealand before but i think it's my favorite country in the whole world and i want to go there again i would love to live there again uh, not live there again I would like to live there for good um, it's just the most beautiful place on earth at least for me but in terms of other places I want to travel I would love to go to Zanzibar in Tanzania and Africa um, I would love to go to India I would love to try the food and just even take cooking classes and just learn about all of that I think would be a beautiful place to go um, and I would like to go to Morocco and Egypt so I'd like to start to explore things a little more outside of the realm of the Americas and Europe and actually start to do Asia and Africa.
0: Yeah. I went, I went to Morocco last year. It's an amazing place. So oh, did, the food did is, you get to see the, the spice food. market? Yep. yep. Amazing. Okay, good. Yeah. That it's is, uh, great. It's like, I wish I could just pack all this stuff up and take it home with me. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get any beautiful Moroccan silks or anything? Yes, I did. Yes. Yes? I'm I'm actually, after this podcast, I'm going to take my Moroccan silk scarf and put it over my computer when I close out today. That's a very good tip.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, my mom went to Morocco. She brought some beautiful red silks back and she went to Egypt and I have these beautiful obsidian stones. So. There's so much beauty to so much culture. Anyway, yeah, that's that's so cool that you went. I'm looking forward to the day I go.
0: Yeah, I wish, I I hope you do that soon because it's an amazing place. Um, Let's go back to when you first graduated. So you're now looking at yourself when you first graduated. What one piece of advice would you give yourself?
1: Oh, so um, network, 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 network. Don't be afraid to network. Just get over your fears, a person is a person, and always remember that if you don't ask, you will never know.
0: Why do you think students, you know, graduating students or any young people, or actually even at any age, are afraid to network? What do you think makes people afraid to do that?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think it's based off our Canadian culture, now that I've been to a lot of different countries. Other countries have different cultures, and their interactions with people are different. And so, I maybe I shouldn't talk about this on this podcast, but I think it's a sorry culture that we're not good enough, or you bump into someone, you say sorry, or you. It, it's just something we innately do, and so I think there's a deeper subconscious level. But I think a part of it could be it could be a component. But I feel like we don't want to bother people, or we want to disturb them, and so we then impose on ourselves the feeling of oh, I feel guilty for doing that. Oh, I feel really, really bad. And so then it's kind of like when you approach someone, you're going in the reverse direction. You're like, oh, maybe I, I feel guilty for taking your time. I don't know it's a theory of mine. But the other thing that I noticed about myself is what if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not qualified enough or educated enough? Does that matter? And So those are the other questions that I myself asked. And I realized at the end of the day, you're learning. You're asking someone for a few minutes of their time to explore something. And so networking as a young student, I remember I need a job. So like on my mind, it was networking equals job. That's not the case. Networking is about asking someone, hey, can I take five minutes of your time? What's this company about? It's okay to know that you don't know about the company if you go to a conference because you have never heard about this company before. But you have to be You have to understand what is your intent to networking and you have to be curious. People like to talk about themselves, not about doing other things. And they also don't want to talk about negative things. So if you ask a person about what their joy is, their passions and hobbies, and how does it relate to their role, you're probably going to find out more information about something. And if you facilitate those relationships over time, you don't have to hound the person. But I find that if you organically are passionate about it, the person can at least give you tips of how to enter an industry. Maybe they might have someone you can take, uh, you can take someone out for coffee and talk to them about it. Um, you can, you know, they might not have jobs right now that are, they, they might not have jobs that are readily available for you, or you might not have that hard skill set. but at least you can find out what that is. Like, for example, if it's advanced Excel and macros that you have to learn, well, go on LinkedIn Learning and take the two months to go learn that stuff. Um but then again networking is going to be a slow to medium process and uh, just be curious ask the people about themselves what their passions are or if you want to enter a new industry contact a random person and just say hi my name is so and so i'm thinking about doing an industry change can you enlighten me a little bit like i did that with algoma i called up a shipping company because i eventually would like to get into ship engineering um, with my water background and, and, and chemistry background, um, and work with hazardous containers at at sea. Uh, so I called them up and I asked for a 10 minute informational interview. HR took me through everything, what I needed, what school to go to, what were their connections? And like, it changed my life. Like just that one question. So, um, don't be afraid, just be open-minded, be curious, uh, and, and ask the person about themselves and what they like and, you'll find that you'll get more information out of them that you can use to your advantage. So
0: So let's talk about where you want to go next. Like, where do you see yourself in three to five years? So I'd like
1: to go back to school, actually. Um, So during COVID, I actually lost my job at the chemical plant. Um, And I found myself, uh, you know, the industry changed. I went from cosmetic to industrial the economy slowed, there was no money. So I kind of took the time to put a vision board together. I know it sounds kind of corny, especially when you're in your 30s, but it's not. And so I took clippings like I was in high school out of magazines, cutting them onto a cork board. And I noticed that a lot of the symbols on it were water, sailboats, ships, skies, clouds, people, food. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is me when I moved abroad. Like that I had to remind myself, I came back to Canada to ca- take care of my mom, and I have been in years of handling things. And so I that vision board helped me remind myself of who I am, what do I want? And so that was when I called Algoma, the shipping company, to, to ask questions. And um, I realized that I wanted to go back to school. So I actually applied to Jordan College to get into marine engineering and navigation two years ago. I declined the offer because I'd like to at least, you know, get myself financially in a position where I can actually take care of myself, going to college, not having to work part-time jobs and stuff. So I just financially planning for that. But I would like to see myself to go back to school and become a marine engineering officer. So but
0: what is that? Like you got to help me there. <laughs> so, okay, so there's this is new. So, this is new to me.
1: <laughs> so, an engineer's job is to keep the ship going, and a navigator is to keep the ship floating. Um, if that is going to be the high level, but a, a ship engineer has to take care of stability. The ship is buoyant, right? It's going to move on the ocean. There's um, mechanics at play. There's the uh, prop- propulsion you know, combustion, gas chemistry, there's auxiliary systems, electrical circuits, all those things, valves, water, pressure, fluids, like you have to understand all of that. If something goes wrong on the ship, the engineer has to come and fix it. So, um, and they also have to understand what the problem is in diagnosis. So the engineers are there. Um, but yeah, it's essentially understanding the entirety of a ship and working with the team of engineers and captain to to keep it going when when you embark on your sail, so.
0: So basically, you'll spend your if you you know when this happens, you'll spend your life on the seas. Is that correct?
1: Correct. Wow! And it's really cool because it's an international union. You work, you get put on vessels, and I'm the type of person who loves those kind of long work periods and then has the time off. Because in Australia, I realized I like having a month off. Yeah. Um, I can travel and do these things I normally wouldn't be able to do in a in a in a week to week thing, and that would that wouldn't have happened if I didn't ex- explore that. Um, so for me, you know, on a ship you can work different types, and obviously unions have different work procedures. But some people work in on in Ontario in the Great Lakes, and they do two weeks on, two weeks off. Mm. Or if you go across the Atlantic, that's three to four weeks, so three to four weeks and three to four weeks off. Or you can do the Pacific, which is six weeks and then you get six weeks off. So it's like, you know, I, I like those gaps. So for me, it would be on the ocean, but also I would get to travel all around the world to all different kinds of countries. So uh, I think it would be one of the most fascinating careers. And I actually spoke with a few, few engineers and navigators and a few captains on LinkedIn. And uh, I am like, oh, this would be really cool. <laughs>
0: yeah, so when do you think you'll be able to do this?
1: Probably, I would say, in about another three years. So, another three years, yeah. Uh, by the time I guess schools like September start, so it wouldn't be until 2027, I guess, that I would be able yeah. to do it. So,
0: wow. Well, we'll hopefully catch up with you while you're sailing the season a few years and you can tell us how well it's going and what what sort of ports you're, uh, and places around the world you'll get to be. So, you know, and then start- I'll
1: probably connect with you about getting students to do internships.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> good point, good point. So as we get to the end of our conversation, let's take a little bit time back and think about your time at Mac. We have a couple of rapid fire questions for you. So what's your favorite memory of McMaster?
1: so my favorite memory of mac was my you know i have many of them but one was when i started in welcome week and my um neighbor in matthews hall said hey Devin, um i know these two girls uh that dance salsa and me being openly gay he's like i think he would be okay with that because him being straight he was like trying to like meet girls and stuff like that obviously you know being young and all it's like <laughs> you're so overwhelmed and exploring so many things anyway he wrote their phone number on my little whiteboard on my dorm room um and i remember picking up my in my dorm room the phone up and i called the number and they're at Lay prince uh, hall and i said hi my name is Devin." um Jordan gave me your phone number. Is this Victoria? Uh, She said, yeah, I'm Victoria. I'm like, okay, I'm the guy who dances salsa. She's like, oh my God, come over. So I ended up going to Lee Prince. We went into their common room, pushed the couches aside, and I met another friend, uh, Florentina, who uh, was there. We ended up dancing salsa all night long until we had to turn the music off. But um, those two girls became some of my best friends in my life. And, um, you know, we still keep in touch to this day ever since we started university in 2008. And so they're very beautiful. And I, you know, one of my other best friends, Rachel, I met her in my third year. So that would be one of my other best memories because I have two of them. And so I think my best memory comes to meeting my best friends. Uh, at oh,
0: I like that. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about your experience during COVID and that you lost um, your your job and had to make some changes and you've got a plan, which is great. So what do you think you learned about yourself during the pandemic?
1: That I am okay to be, I learned that I'm actually more introverted than extroverted. Uh, I learned that I'm actually ambiverted. I've learned to be extroverted and that I'm really happy being um, on my own, to be honest. I realized that I'm being an empathetic person, I get drained from others and I really allowed me to go in and have introspection on my own soul myself my energy who i am reflect and it made me realize that i love the things i do explore hobbies and be comfortable with myself i essentially really learned to love myself um it was it was the time i needed away from others to to reflect uh and it helped me a lot
0: so uh, are you reading anything? Uh, what are you reading right now? What, what book would you write?
1: So this novel I'm finishing up right now actually is Colson. Uh, it's called Zone One uh, by Colson Whitehead. He actually wrote the novel The Underground Railroad. So he is a, ah. um, a African-American uh, author who lives in New York City. Um, so I was kind of interested in this because he's writing about historical fiction. But then he writes about zombies. And I really wanted to understand his mind about why the jump in genre? Um, and then I have another... Uh, yeah, so this is about, you know, three years after a plague comes out, zombies, a virus, whatever you may want to think. Um, and it's about the lives of these people who survived and got together to New York City and they're cleaning New York City out to create the first habitable zone for humans. Um, and there is this one type of zombie that doesn't move. And so they're trying to understand why and so I'm kind of reaching the climax now and I'm really excited to see where this author takes but it's got the most advanced sophisticated vocabulary I had to actually write things down on the sheet um, but the one that I'm really excited to read is called the three body problem it was written by a Chinese physicist uh, and it's about when uh an off group reaches an alien civilization and then they get a message that they're going to come and invade and then Earth Governments break down and they split into factions of beliefs where uh, this group doesn't want to live when they come because the aliens are going to invade, or they want to make peace, or they want to negotiate. And so I'm really excited to read this. I heard it's one of the best science fiction novels out there. So, no, I've
0: okay. never heard about that. Sounds interesting. All right. So let's wrap up with what's your idea of perfect happiness?
1: Perfect happiness is loving yourself. If you can be confident and you everyone else around you compliments you you don't need people you need yourself once you understand that and it's hard to get there it took me like 10 years to understand that but if you are happy with what you do and you're passionate about what you do you love to cook a meal or garden or play music and the people around you the friends that that love you and cherish you, your chosen family. Loving yourself is the, the most perfect form of happiness, because you don't need anything else that can hurt you or take you away. So for me, it's being in your own right and, and loving yourself that is the true form of perfect happiness.
0: Oh, that's good. That's very well said and good advice. So, Devin, thank you so much for joining us today on our unconventional podcast. And um You know, from the tin flute to sailing the seas. We're going to keep an eye and see how where you go and where you travel. And, uh, you know, just remember McMaster's always at home. We're always home, right? And you can always come by.
1: It's a beautiful place. I'm really glad, you know, I went to Mac because it's such a... What Mac instills is a subconscious form of community and you don't realize that you actually start to form those pockets of friends and communities around you when you leave and it's really important so and you know mac has been a home and i appreciate it karen so i'll definitely come back to visit at some point